0: Dear friends, shall we bow our heads uh, before we begin? Let us pray. Dear Lord, would you use me as your vessel to speak into the hearts of all our people, Lord, that we might hear your word and not just hear it, but be doers of your word. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've titled today sharing uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit or a temple of the Holy Spirit, and this is referring to that last verse in the passage that was just read, uh, our body, Uh, the last few verses, uh, our body as the temple of the Holy Spirit that is given to us. Uh, In today's uh, world of freedom, we talk about Christian rights and freedoms, and in this particular uh, sharing that sermon that I'm going to uh, talk about today, I'm going to deal with three particular issues. Uh, the first one is: Are we free to do anything? Are we free as a Christian to do anything? The second point that I'm going to touch on is: Are we free to do anything with our bodies? Okay. The first one is a larger issue. Are we free to do anything? Uh, And if the answer is no, no, we're not free to do anything, Uh, what about our own bodies? Is it not our bodies? Are we free to do anything with our bodies? And then if not, uh, why not? Are we free or are we not free? What freedoms uh, do we have? Now, Paul, when he writes this particular letter, he's writing to the Corinthian church. And Corinth was a, a port city, where sailors would, uh, would want to go. It, uh, it had several vices, and one of the ones which is most famous about Corinth was, it was a capital uh, sin city, if you would call it that. Uh, nowadays, when people talk about sin city, most of the time when I was growing up, particularly in, uh, uh, when I was working in Europe, uh, when you talked about sin city, people would think about maybe Amsterdam or some of these capitals where... Uh, promiscuity and prostitution was really high. But the Corinth city also had a lot of deities and part of the rituals of the deities was to actually have what we call temple uh, prostitutes. Uh, Cult prostitution was such a case that uh, if you wanted to have a divine moment, you'd share it with a prostitute who would basically say this is their act of worship. And so it was very common amongst the Greek culture to say Uh, it's okay to do this. It's a religious experience. And Paul was dealing with Christians who still had that mentality. They said to themselves, this is a body, the body eventually dies, so whatever the body does is okay. And Paul was trying to address these kind of uh, libertarian or liberal thinking uh, which allowed them to do what they wanted to do. Now let's jump forward 2,000 years into current day, Malaysia or America. I don't know how many of you uh, actually go online to actually look at statistics of uh, sexual immorality. Now I, I want to bring to your attention this word sexual immorality in the Greek uh, is translated pornea, porneia, P-O-R-N-E-I-A. The same word that we use for pornography, it's the root word. What is pornea? Pornea sexual immorality is anything related to sex outside of a covenant marriage. Okay? Uh, so adultery is a form of uh, sexual immorality, but adultery is happening in a marriage outside of that covenant. Adultery is when uh, people are already married but they're having a sexual affair with someone else outside of the marriage. So adultery is uh, one category uh, but a specific category outside of marriage. But sexual immorality covers everything else that is not done within that covenant marriage. Now that, uh, for some people, you might be scratching your head, what does that cover? Uh, For example, if you're married... And you're having sexual fantasies about someone who is outside of your marriage, that's also a form of sexual immorality. Okay, so is that is that sufficiently uh, uh, enough information for you to figure that out? But how does that affect us in this current time? Uh, again, I'm trying to bridge this particular relevance. Uh, uh, Corinthian city full of vice, uh, Malaysia or the world. How do we? Uh, look at that. Now, I'm going to read you some statistics that have been uh, garnered together by uh, Barna. Uh, Barna is a, a statistics group uh, based in the US that often does uh, statistics for American companies, uh, but they normally have a relevance to Malaysia and uh, the rest of the world as well. Here are some of the statistics. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visit lasts 6 minutes, 29 seconds. There are around 42 million porn sites, uh, which totals around 370 million pages of porn. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and uh, MLB. Uh, These are basically their sports, uh, football, uh, basketball, uh, American football. Combined. (laughs) It is more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. In other words, all the broadcasting and entertainment channels in the US, uh, single-handedly, the porn industry overwhelms that. I could show you statistics, but you generally get the idea. It's a huge industry. It's it's huge. It's uh, almost like the elephant in the room. Because although it's huge, everybody ignores it. Everybody doesn't talk about it. And it's a large issue. Uh, Number five uh, on this list, pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Uh, It's particularly alarming as a a pastor in Malaysia because uh, many of our people, young adults who are getting married, one of the questions that I often ask them is, are you engaging in these forms of activity? And commonly now the answer coming back about this is that both of them are resigned to the fact that this is most likely happening. And what's worse is most of them feel they don't need to do it, deal with it. Okay. Now uh, We have this particular dilemma as I mentioned, this uh, big elephant in the room which people are kind of aware of but not really talking about and they're being hemmed in and they have this culture that is going on. And our children is forced to live in this particular culture and sometimes they ask, it's my body. For example, in a lot of the questions about the LBGTQI, okay, uh, lesbian, bisexual, uh, gay, uh, transgender, queer, i indeterminate indeterminate meaning uh, don't know it can be this or it can be that a lot of the things if you were to ask any one of our young adults or youth you know what do you think about this and their answer is it's their body if whatever they do it's between consenting uh, consenting adults so uh, pedi- uh pedophiles have a uh, bad press because it's against children who are not consenting adults but amongst consenting adults, well, yeah, it's up to you. You want to kill yourself, go ahead. But Christians have a moral value that talk about the body as, a, as something that is specific and is a gift of God. And so I will address this question. If not, if our bodies are not supposed to go down this, why not? Isn't it our body? Don't we have the freedom to do what we want to do? And so I hope I've set the scene. The the challenges that uh, the Corinthian Church had, our Malaysian church also faces. What was particularly alarming, and and some parents, I I, I credit you if you were here last uh, last weekend when our um, nurturing the digital generation, we had a session here. A speaker from Sufes who came and spoke to some parents and some caregivers about our digital. Uh, generation, the children that are growing up in the digital uh, generation, uh, they were having to wrestle with these issues. Uh, Two years ago, when I was in uh, the D6 conference in Singapore, uh, the gentleman who was uh, sharing his message was giving us statistics, and he said, the first age when most average Americans are being exposed to pornography, uh, guess what age that is? Have you got a figure? Uh, 10 to 11. 10 to 11 years old, children are being exposed to pornography. In other words, they would already, at that point, have seen uh, some of all this stuff that's going on. And they don't differentiate between soft or hardcore pornography. I remember the time when I was a kid, was growing up, you couldn't access pornography because it was in a shelf, in a bookshop, in another country, high up there. And anyone who was young, trying to go and get hold of all these magazines, uh, would obviously be seen by everybody else, and so you slink out quietly and you pretend that you didn't see anything. But here, the challenge is the children have access to mobile devices and data plans, and in the quiet privacy of their room, they're going online and they're watching it. But that wasn't what shocked me. What shocked me at this particular conference, he said, uh, again, uh, as I said, America, about 10 to 11 years old. And then one person in in the group started waving their hand. And so this lady got up and said, in Singapore the age is eight years old. And the reason why it is lower is because Singapore is a digital generation. Higher access speeds, you know, broadband, uh, fiber access, and they are quite free. In the sense it says, yeah, freedom. Go ahead, learn. So here's the challenge. And Paul is trying to give uh, right thinking about sexual immorality Pornia, and again, I'm not just talking about pornography, I'm talking about all sexual acts that are outside of covenant marriage. And in particular, he's dealing with this issue of prostitution or a person who visits uh, a prostitute. In other words, he has gone the next step and engaged in uh, in a, a sexual act that is outside of it. I apologise for some who might be feeling very queasy. What kind of pastor talk about sex and prostitution and pornography and all these other things in a church? Do you realise that when I talk to the youth, the youth will tell me we never talk about it in church. Nobody preaches about it from the pulpit. And so if nobody talks about it from the pulpit, nobody defines a boundary and a standard. Therefore, we are free to do what we want to do. And so for their sake, bear with this discomfort but hear what the text has to say to us. Now let's begin. Paul is most likely repeating a maxim uh, of this libertarian uh, Corinthian people, including the Christians, who said, "I have the right to do anything." And in your old NIV version, the the 1984 version that you have in the pews, everything is permissible. The gift of God's forgiveness makes it such that all things are forgiven. So Paul is trying to address his wrong thinking. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. So he repeats himself. It's It's a word play that he's doing, more visible in the Greek, but it's a word play. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but will not be mastered by anything. So he says, you have the freedom, but the freedom has its conditions, or uh, true freedom, in a way, has its uh, restraints being placed on it. So are we free to do anything? I'm answering the first point that I said I would talk about. Are we free to do anything? Uh, And Paul's answer is, all things are allowed, but not all things are beneficial. And later on, in chapter 10, verse 23, he says, they don't all build up. So if you were to ask yourself, I can do this. The law permits me to do this and my strength in the faith permits me to do this. But the question I need to ask myself, although I'm free to do this, is, is it beneficial? And the question of benefit uh, in this Greek understanding is not benefit to myself, but beneficial for the body and the community. So every time I'm about to do something, whether it is corporate, whether it's in the school, whether it's in the family, it's for the self, I should ask myself, although I'm allowed and I'm permitted to do this, is it beneficial and will it build up? And so the focus is not so longer on my right, personal right. The focus is on the community building up. So here's a, here's a diagnostic Whenever you're challenged with this question, should I, should I not do it, your, your next thought should be, is it beneficial for the community and will it build up? Now, the second question, uh, the second part of this is, is, I will not allow anything to get mastery of me. So, there are three questions now. All things permissible. Am I free to do anything I want? Yes, in a way you can, but is it beneficial does it build up and will i be addicted to this does it gain mastery over me the number one thing that most of our people are wrestling with is this issue of addictions i'm free to go online to social media but many of them are addicted i just came back from a camp with a a group of youth in our northern and our perak district and some of the feedback you know the, the odd things that they say it's like i realized that i can actually survive without my phone because one of the things we do at the camp is we say surrender your phone or else if we have the camp and they don't surrender their phone they be their face will be glued to that particular device all the time and this is in spite of the fact that there is no internet uh, line no data line where where we're at why do they want their phones like it gives them this sense of uh, comfort. They play games with it. They they write notes with. It. But how do we deal in a future generation where this is all integral? It's a part of how they live. You ask them, bring out your Bibles, and they bring out their handphone. <laughs> it's like take this down and take out their handphone, and they start writing a note in this. It becomes very much a part of it. But are we intentional about this? It's permissible. But have we lost mastery over it? We now become the slave to this thing. And so are we overly attached uh, to these things? But let me give another very big word, a loaded word in our Christian community, one which we don't talk about, masturbation. How many of our people are, in a way, mastered by this? That because of their sexual urges and their needs whether they're married or not married and again the elephant in the room is that in a lot of marriages where uh, the sexual relationship is not fully consummated masturbation occurs and there's a huge amount of guilt relating to it and i'm not going to go into uh, is it right is it not right that's another topic but the issue about this is does it become something that masters you? That you get your sense of satisfaction and and relief and well-being through all of this. Paul continues, verse 13, You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead and He will raise us also. Now, I've highlighted this uh, top and bottom in blue. And in the middle is this thing in red. However, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. Why? Well, again, in the Greek, uh, something happens. It's a form of a wordplay. Uh, technically, we call it a chiasm. A chiasm is like an A, B, B, A. Uh, and, and the central focus is what is said right in the middle. It's a bit like a sandwich. At the top, it says something, food for the stomach, stomach for the food. But God will destroy both. And then the bottom bit, the chiasm, is uh, <clears throat> the body is for the Lord, the Lord for the body. And that's, what, that's what's been said. But God uh, will raise the body also. Now, uh, to show it to you, uh, I've, I've done it in this particular form. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. That's the word play. Uh, God will destroy both the one and the other. This is the, uh, the literal translation in the Greek. Uh, but the same will not hold for the body is the thought that he is arguing about. Then the second, uh, the second principle that's being said, the body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. But the one that stands out there is not for sexual immorality, which is the bit that is in red. That's the one that is being highlighted. that The body is not for sexual immorality. God has raised uh, the Lord and will raise us by His power. So in other words, you're free to do what you want to with your body, but it shouldn't be used for sexual immorality, pornea. It's not intended to be a tool purely for your own self-satisfaction. Now, again, I want to be careful how I said this, how I say this. It is God who created man and woman. It is God who gave us our apparatus. Okay? It is He who basically says, "This is how you shall create children, and He who basically makes it pleasurable." In fact, it is the most intimate activity of any man or woman. And so He created this. And therefore, he's now also creating these rules about if he created and designed it this way, to use it in a different way for different reasons and different purposes is an abomination, a corruption of his original intent. That's where uh, the desecration occurs. So, verse 15, he continues, "'Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself?' And so this is one which we begin to slow down and start chewing on that because we read the words but we don't often put it into our hearts. Your bodies are members of Christ himself. Me, a living person, and corporately all of you are bodies of Christ himself. You are his living body. Shall I then take, and this is where he goes into the irony and sarcasm of his rhetoric. Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Now, Paul is taking this idea from Genesis, but also from what Jesus said. For, you know, the two shall become one. That God created... Man and woman, the two shall become one. And so the sexual union and the consummation of that marriage, covenant marriage, in sexual union, make them one. And so when a person unites himself with a prostitute, he is one with her in body, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. One with him in spirit. Now we understand uh, temple or, or, or uh, body uh, in, a, in a very abstract kind of way. But it's almost to say if, I'm, if my body is dedicated to do what is good and right and true and pure, but at the same time I'm engaging myself in things that are dark, evil, uh, prohibited, impure, it, it creates this huge rift in the, in the alpha uh, marriage preparation and the alpha marriage enrichment type courses, uh, Nikki Gumbel likes to give this example of uh, gluing two pieces of paper together. The two shall become one. You bind these two pieces of paper, right? Then you try and tear the two pieces of paper apart. What happens? Uh, effectively, bits and pieces of the paper end up getting torn. Now, do that many times, with different pieces of paper and you see the impact of a person's body or soul being ripped apart. So it has these consequences and Paul is not talking about uh, the worldly consequences of this immorality. I mean, he doesn't go into a theology of adultery, neither does he talk about this. He's getting to a more root issue, a more core issue that the Spirit of God is within you So let me summarise that. Are we free to do anything with our body? The body is for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. Okay, that's that that word play that is done. Your bodies are members of Christ Himself, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with Him in spirit. These are three thoughts uh, that we need to have in mind whenever we think about this sexual immorality. The problem is we don't often think about this. If we truly had faith and we truly believe that as Christians now, we have uh, repented of our sin, believe in Jesus Christ, and receive the Holy Spirit through baptism of the Holy Spirit, and now we have the Spirit in us. Now, if the Spirit of God is with us and we are one with the Lord, any act of evil, any act of darkness is with him in residence. That's a staggering thing if we ever think about this. But your mind, as well as mine, likes to play tricks and just ignore the fact that he's resident in this house. We, we kind of like say, uh, Lord, can you go back into one of those dark rooms and close the door and let me engage in what I like to do here because it's pleasurable, It's fun uh you know just pretend that you didn't see this hello (laughs) he's all-seeing god he's omnipotent and he's with you and so in these activities that we engage in in the sexual immorality are we in a way uh, grieving uh, the lord grieving the spirit of god who is in us so uh, verse 18 paul continues flee from sexual immorality Flee from pornea. All forms of sexual immorality, again, definition important. Flee from all forms of sexual activity, whether in mind, in thought, in will, in body, right? that is outside of the covenant marriage. Okay. You, might, you might not like this, but the definition that God gives is sexual activity is within the confines of covenant marriage. Nowhere else. But whoever sins sexually, sins against their own body, uh, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. How do we think about these things? that if the temple and the the modern-day equivalent that people tend to relate to is that the church, and we always say the church is not a building, but we tend to understand things in in a more physical sense when it's concrete and physical. You wouldn't want to set up a gambling den and do blackjack or poker in church Monday to Saturday, and then on Sunday take out all these things and say, okay, let's have a service now. You wouldn't want to do that it seems like uh, if, if i tried even suggesting that i'll be shipped out straight away but then do we consider this about our bodies and, and and jesus as well as paul as well as many others are now going further and saying the temple is no longer this physical structure that is empty for most of the day and then now is inhabited with people on Sundays. the temple is you The Spirit of God resides in you and is in residence with you. Now, whether or not you realize it, in other words, like, whoa, God, you're in there somewhere? Where? Or whether or not you feel it, Scripture tells us that's the truth. So in spirit and in truth, He's in residence. And the moment that we engage in these things, This is where Paul is now talking about the issue at hand. Remember, I posed the three questions. Are we free to do anything? His answer is no. Not if it doesn't build up, not if it's not beneficial, not if it's addictive. In other words, you become enslaved to this activity. The second question, are we free to do anything with our bodies? And his answer again is no. In fact, you are free to be restrained. You have that freedom to now come under that restraint. And the next question is, why? Why not? And his answer is not on the basis of what you are free to do, what you're not free to do, your rights and your privilege. His answer is based on a theological understanding of the body. He says, You don't do this because primarily God is with you in your temple, in your body. What is a temple? A temple is a place where God meets man. Every place of a temple, whether or not you acknowledge God, uh, God Almighty, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, all places uh, of the temple is where people meet the divine. You are now therefore walking temples that anyone who comes to interact with you is coming to the temple where God abides in you and they meet God through your thoughts, your words, your interaction, your body. Because your body is the biggest receptacle of information from outside and outside. So how you treat your body relates to other people what your idea of God is. So many of us have encountered this before. We go around and you say, oh, that man is a Christian. And, every, and people are there, Puy! you say he's a Christian. But he's, he talks like this, he does this, he thinks like this, and he's having affairs. What kind of a Christian? That is the desecration that occurs. And so it says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so for my young friends who are struggling with this, uh, particularly in, in nowadays where people travel and they like to stay together in an apartment, in a hotel, uh, their boyfriend and girlfriend, they're steady and they're very, very tempted to share a room together. Decide beforehand <laughs> that you want to remain pure, that you want to basically give this gift that has been kept aside specially for this one person. You do not want to end up in in this being one body and united with another person that is not in a covenant marriage. How do you go forward from this? There are three calls, I would say. Uh, A call to purity and holiness. So the purpose by which we do this is we have a body that is given to us, a freedom given to this body in order to do what God has designed it to do. Okay, Not a freedom that we own this body. Therefore, I look at my body as a steward of my body. It's mine to use, but it is ultimately owned by God. He created this, he's the owner. So he defines what my body is allowed to and not allowed to do. Uh, A freedom to be restrained and a ministry of presence. Let me explain this a little bit further. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? If it's a temple of the Holy Spirit and if God abides in there, there's a call to purity and also to holiness. A holiness that calls us to be set apart from the ways of the world. To not be like the rest of our friends who are engaging in uh, outside of covenant uh, sexual relationships. It is a call to basically remain pure because God is with you at that moment, at that time. And so we have to reconcile this truth. Even if we feel that God may not be within us at that point in time, this temple that we are subjecting to these things that God has said do not do, God is there with us. And we grieve the Holy Spirit each time we do this. But the second point i say your body is a temple within you therefore means that you have the ministry of presence you ever been to situations where uh, a person is in a coma they don't understand you or even in our youths when they go into the mission field they go into an orang asli village and they say i can't speak the language i can't talk with them but do you realize that when you are there you are in prayer and the Holy Spirit of God is with you, you are a receptacle and a channel of God's presence in their midst. And so the ministry of presence is to be present with the Spirit of God with you, in you, to respond according to how God prompts you. It could be in prayer, it could be in acts of service, providing water to a person. It's just being present. And for those of us who have gone through grief and anger and, uh, and deep loss, that ministry of presence is sometimes much more appreciated than the many words that come out. Okay. Because in many words, there is much sin. We say the wrong thing. We say, your, your condition is like this because. <laughs> and it hurts. So the ministry of presence is to be with that person as an encourager, one who is alongside with you. But it goes here. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This is, this is where I say we, are, we have a freedom that we've been set free to be restrained for God's use. Okay? Because we've been bought with a price, very, very pricey, very, very precious. We're not our own, and we're called... To glorify god in all that we do so again my challenge to you will you take up this call to purity and holiness will you exercise this freedom to be restrained because you were bought with a price and will you exercise this ministry of presence for within you in you through you the spirit of god will interact with others let us pray Dear Lord, we pray that these thoughts, simple as they are, will draw us towards nearer uh, seeking of you. I ask, Lord, in your mercy, would you convict us in our sin in our brokenness, Lord, when we have engaged in thought, in mind, in word, and in deed, the sex, these acts of sexual immorality, Lord. We bring them to you, you who are faithful to forgive, and we ask, Lord, that in your mercy will you heal us and take out of our body, Lord, this brokenness that is within us. Teach us your way, Lord, and set us apart for purity and holiness' sake, Lord, to do your will. We ask and pray this, O Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.